You seek truth, traveler. You will find none here. What you really seek is justice. But you will find it blind and twisted by those who wield it like a blade to cause harm. Spare a thought for those cut down at the edge of this blade, for they cry out, unheard and forgotten. For it is the duty of the living to seek the justice of the dead. Sorry, sorry, I got carried away there listening to the music. Uh, we are all off Power Fist or parts of it, and we are coming to you with our brand new podcast. Yes, this is All Up Power Fist Fists of Justice, a true crime podcast investigating the cases that people thought were cold, but not to us, they're burning red hot. And we are going to be looking at a very interesting case, but before we do that, let me introduce my fellow band members and investigative journalists with me today. So I am Clive Howlingale, as I was known, and I'm joined by Brian. Good evening. I am Brian Madden, original guitar player for the Orlock Perfist. And the real heart of the band, my good mate, Alan. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we doing? I think, um, I think Fist of Justice, I think I get up 25. 25 pence a year out of that. That's probably one of my biggest earners, that song. You didn't you didn't half thump that riff through. It still sounds well, doesn't it? It does well, it still sound sounds well. I had to throw that drum kit away after the, but, after doing that in the studio. But I think you went through a few floorboards. You were stamping on that bass pedal that much. It's it was a cracking piece. I am keep on hoping that they're going to pick it up for some advert for some, some you know, aftershave or something. Yeah, it'd be nice, would that? I mean, yeah, I don't think the salt water probably helped with the floorboard situation, but yeah. Givenchy or something like that. I can, you know, or Brooks. Let's bring back Brooks. You know, I don't... I mean, I still I still get it every year for Christmas. Well, I, I think, know, you know... I don't know why they've got... Old Spice is making a return, isn't it? That was always... I always got the ladies uh, going in my day. Anyway, we are going to be talking about... A very interesting crime, gentlemen. One that affected us all in various ways. Yeah, personally as well. It's tragic. I mean, if I mean, this has got a a, a knock-on effect. That you know, uh, big events in our lives is, is is what comes out of sort of the characters we're going to be discussing. Yes, right. So let's um let's Me pick too. up from last year and uh, mm-hmm. go from there. The Black Country 3 as a kind of start-up, you know, warm-up act for us, like. And, uh, well, they were, were a kind of experimental jazz combo. Not really, but, you know, 30 Hells Angels want to be seen on a Thursday night after a few few ales, you know. And, uh, you know, very avant-garde. And, uh, of course, they were completely out of it on of the time. Uh, I mean, they had some great musicians. It was a shame what happened, like, and... You know, their, their Bedford van, you know, came a cropper on Spaghetti Junction right off the top, crashed, killed all of them. 
terrible loss, really. But uh, apparently, you know, the, the 30 bikers who had been chasing them had nothing to do with it. And according to the police reports, uh, they'd slipped on, on black ice, uh, which I always found funny, really, because it was July and a heat storm. We are here to investigate the mysterious death of the Black Country Sea. And the power if, if I'm honest with you, Brian, I'm pretty sure it was a solved case, but you, you right. and Clive seem pretty sure that it's not. So I don't think it is, mate. I don't. I, I never thought it was. It never sat right with me, and it's been half a century nearly, and it still doesn't sit right with me. And yeah, that's not be, the be, you know, it's you know, a lot of people in the local area as well. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot of questions that were never answered by the police at the time. No, and, uh, I don't. And I think that this is a. Uh, this is our chance to give justice to those poor lads. Exactly. exactly. We are no, all up to fist, the fists of justice. If, if there's ever, a, ever a, a warning sign for mixing rhododendrons and Paxo, it's these two gentlemen here. That's you say that. You say that, Alan. But, uh, you know, yeah, you say we'll, that. We'll, we'll do the investigation and we'll see what you think afterwards. I think it was you that wanted to mix it with apple and chestnut. So you, you, you're not in a particularly, yeah, yeah. particularly high ground. To I think you'll find that I was, uh, I was as clean as clean could be. As I said before, I'll drink fifty, uh, I'll drink three bottles of whiskey and smoke fifty fags a day, but I, I don't touch stuffing. I remember that time we were in LA. Even Lemmy told you to calm down. So That's true, and I've heard you have. You do like stuffing. Yes, yes. Now and then. Particularly with uh, crustaceans. But anyway... Yeah, I warned you. I warned you about this. Just all right, well, all right. Just anyway, as well distance recording this. No, no. Oh, it's, it's 1968 all over again. It, Let's it, not it have does, a fight it, in the studio. It does, it, does, it does feel a bit like that. Anyway, listen. So we've come here to, to try and get some justice for these four lads who are in the Black Country 3. Yeah. Um, so... We owe it to them. I think we do. So why don't we um, find out um, a little bit about the band um, and uh, what they were kind of doing in around the time that we knew them in the early 70s? Yeah, because haven't you, haven't you tracked down... Who, who is it what you did track down? I've, I've, I've lost a note. Well, do you remember the... the oh, Birmingham New Universal Music, Music Showcase? Showcase? That's it, yeah. You know, read by about showcase. three people. But uh, it was um, it was the journalist, or so-called journalist, Hugh Jenkins. Do you remember him? Oh, I remember Hugh Jenkins, yeah. I think yeah, you, might, you, you might have been familiar with his wife as well. I think uh, she, she was quite popular in the time. Um, but anyway, I, I'm, I tracked I'm saying, him down. I'm, I'm saying nothing. You don't know who might be listening. I, I tracked him down and uh, we had a little walk through memory lane, specifically about the members of the band. So uh, here's what he had to say wait, about just it. Just that, where's he tracked him down? Did he just go knock on his old front door? Because I can't imagine Hugh's probably gone anywhere. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I did, actually. Um, I mean, his wife's been everywhere, but I don't think he's been anywhere. Well, no, there was actually a burnt-out car in the front, so I figured it was him. He'd probably written another, you know, another info piece you know, for some local band, and uh, oh, inevitably so he's, he's, his, his car gets set for just as just as popular as ever, is he? Then he hasn't changed much. Let's just put it that no, way. I was going to say people think I've had some bad luck. Bloody hell, dude, just haven't met you. Yeah, but you did have bad luck, Brian. But this bloke doesn't necessarily. He kind of makes his own it's, bad luck. Yeah, sure there's, there's luck and there's being it's just Jenkins. asking for trouble, really. And, yeah, you know, I mean, well, and yeah, he, he is, never yeah. really learned. Anyway, this is what he had to say. Okay, let's have a listen. Yeah. 
Now, Hugh uh, fancied himself as a bit of a reporter and was always like hanging around back in the 70s uh, in the sort of local pub scene, really. And uh, he was the proprietor and sort of main journalist, in fact, only journalist, if you want to call him that, uh, for the magazine, the Birmingham Underground Music Showcase, which uh, ran, you know, from the from throughout the sort of early 70s, really. And uh, he would go around to all the sort of local haunts, you know, write some pretty horrible drivel about bands and slag them off, basically. And uh, that was what he did for a few years, I think, till somebody set fire to his car. But um, he didn't really like the punk scene. They said he didn't like him. Let me just put it that way. But he did have quite a lot of connections back in the day. So I'm going to ask him what he knows about the Black Country 3 the, the the chaps we're dealing with. So um, I'm going to invite him into the call now. So uh, you're right there, Hugh. Hello there, Clive. It's lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you. I'm I'm so glad you managed to you asked to to, to get me on because I'm one of the most uh, well-known faces in the in the in the in the music scene, even even to this day. And you know, it's it's it's, it's something with something with specialty of mine, if I'm honest with you. Is that right, mate? Are you still living in your mum's cellar? Me and Alice, we've. Uh, We've got a, we've got a nice little uh, up, uh, one up one down. All right. Well, uh, how's uh, how's the how, what are you are you uh, still you know writing for you know publications yeah, with the internet and that now well, I suppose. Yeah, the music showcase is gone. It's, it's it's digital now because you know print media is dead as we as we as we know. Well, so yes, we've gone. True. So, yeah, we've got a we've got, you know very very tidy following on Twitter. We've got about five to six thousand people to follow us on Twitter. And some some of them are in the UK, in fact, so that's even better. Oh, well, that seems really impressive, mate. Clearly, um, and a lot of people are interested in what you've got to say, which is unlike yeah, the 1970s. The, the, the Chinese, the, the Chinese have, have really taken on board the. Uh, have they? Music well, scene the, I yeah. suppose that's true because we you know we do get the odd request now and then from from China and uh, other other places, exotic places. Um, you get requests from anywhere, but anyway. Well, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, very popular in uh, South America. Um, listen, mate. Uh, oh, we know about you in South America, don't we, Clive? Well, I'd rather not talk about it if I'm completely truthful. But um, listen, I want to kind of talk to you about a band at the time that uh, kind of came onto the scene like a fireball and unfortunately left it uh, in a fireball uh, off the end of uh, Spaghetti Junction, that, that being the Black Country 3. So, first of all, what do you know about the, the band members themselves? And, and, and secondly, you know, what was their kind of impact on the local scene? The Black Country Three were, were well, no, weirdly enough, there were four of them in the band, but that was just the way that they, you know, I think it was a, a typo at some point. They just kind of ran with it. But, I mean, influence-wise, I mean, even when I, I, mean, I mentioned to Alice, uh, just yesterday when I got the first email from you and, and you know, even then her face, you know, the, the thought of what had happened to them and their loss to the scene, it completely took the colour from her. Absolutely. I mean, the, you can't underestimate the the impact that they had. It was such a such a big uh, influence. It was felt for years to come. Well, I know that uh, you know, quite a few bands had an impact on your or your missus back in the day, uh, allegedly. So uh... I mean, she was really, she was, you know, she, she was one of the big reasons we did the... Uh, the magazine because we were always going out and you know she loved to go out and see live music see the bands and and that's what got me inspired to, to 
start the work on the on the magazine. Yeah, it's quite often I'd, I'd see you, you know, scribbling away, and then she'd be off, you know, round the back meeting the band, you know, getting uh, or getting the inside scoop, as it were, you know, from a particular angle. So, uh, and she was always getting interviews. I mean, we had we had lots of feature interviews, and it was, you know, one of the things that we were, you know, made us made us quite popular, I think. Oh, she was very popular. Yeah, no two ways about it. She could certainly get to places that uh, other journalists couldn't reach. So. Uh, with that in mind, what do you, you know, what's your recollection of the of the four band members that made up the Black Country Three? Well, of course, I'm sure as you, you know, you're away, you 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 met them, but they, uh, yeah. So we had, uh, you know, Ian, the Trouser Snake Harris, who was a lovely lad. Uh, we had Jack Newell, the Pink Obo, as he was he was often known. Uh, Tony Dempster, the Ankle Spanker, and of course uh, Leslie Sweet Melon Ball Super. Who was, uh, you know, and he was sort of the the architect of it all, really. I think when you when you really look back at the, the the band, he was he was entrenched in the White Horse Cellars, which was you know a big jazz place in the at the time, and uh, you know he ran he was at the bar, and you know the reason he got that name was, you know, if you wanted a Midori sour, you asked for sweet melon balls. That was a fine drink, and yeah, I remember it actually. I think I stumbled in there in 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 my day. Uh, he would knock up a, a really, you know, fantastic uh, Midori and just slip his balls in there, gave it an extra bit of taste. Hygiene standards, they weren't what they are now. You know, it's its just these days it's a bit more, you know, five-star ratings. Whereas back in the day, you could, you know, you were lucky if you could find a sleeve to wipe your wipe your nose on. That, that's true, right? Yes, he's definitely more of a one-star chap. Um, so that was that was Melon Balls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, you know. so he was, he was a... He was a very fine double bassist. He, he, you know, I don't know exactly what his uh, his history was. I mean, I the most interactions I think I had with him was when I was asking him for the links. So uh, he, was, he was quite, uh, you know, kept himself to himself. Not a lot about him, but like I say, he was very charismatic on stage. If if you could hang around and watch the band long enough. Yeah, I mean, he would, he would, he could, he could scat like the best of them. He was always giving it the bee bop boop boops. That's yeah, that's very true. Very unique style he had uh, in in that. Uh, it was like uh, Cleo Lane uh, meets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think somebody once described it as. So, um, what about the rest of the band? So, we had uh, the Melon Balls and lead vocalist, kind of band leader, if you like. And what about the other fellas? Yeah, so we did, we're just going to. So, the pianist, it was, you know, the Trouser Snake, as he was known, Ian, Ian Harris. Oh, that's a lovely lad. But, I mean, he, he, fingers like you wouldn't believe. I mean, if he'd wanted to be somebody, he could have been somebody. Very nimble was, with his fingers, was he? Absolutely. From what I understand, I mean, Alice was a big... Um, she, she was really into what he was doing, and she would often remark at the end of a gig just how wonderful his fingers were. The thing with Ian is he had a very unusual habit. He worked, to make ends meet when he wasn't gigging, he worked at Brown's Petman, actually. And, um, you know, he was in charge of the slightly more exotic things, and... Back in the 60s and 70s, you could have all sorts of craziness. I mean, I think at one point they had a giraffe going through, but it may have just been a, a slightly unusual donkey or something like that. But everyone kept saying it was a giraffe. Yeah, I have heard about a legend, you know, a legendary giraffe of, of uh, you know, of Birmingham. Um, yeah, I believe on retrospect, it was like a, a slightly uh, shaven um, Great Dane. But you know, it was it was fun while it lasted. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a bit of bit of bit of history, isn't it? It's a bit of history. Yeah. 
And um, so he, the, the the thing that he you know liked more than anything else was snakes. Now I'm not a big fan myself. I can't be doing with them. No, no, I'm with you with that. But it, nothing he liked more than getting his snake out in public and showing everybody. I know. I think it was a, a python or something. I can't quite remember. It was a big yellow thing, horrible, horrible looking thing. But he would, um, you know, to to help when the sort of hatching with the new eggs, he would, when they were sort of freshly hatched, he'd put the snakes in his trousers. And hence the nickname, the trouser snake. Right, to sort of keep them warm, like. Well, I, I assume so, and often to, you know, just freak out the locals. I mean, there was a situation once, I think, you know, I, I heard a story about the, on the number 38 bus, and uh, there he was sitting there. Next thing you know, out slithers one of the snakes and up some uh, some lady's legs. And it was, you know, terrifying there to stop the bus, and the police were called, if I remember correctly. I'm not surprised, like, you know, a big old snake coming out of your wife's fronts. Uh, that's trouble, right? <laughs> right I think, there. I think, I think ultimately, you know, if you'd, you know, I think you're fired from the, from the, from the, from the pet shop. And then he, uh, you know, he, he kept what he could at home and then, you know, had a little um, vivarium for them and, you know, had about two or three. But, yeah, at one point you could, every, every item of clothing had was bloody full of the buggers. <laughs> right. Well, there we go. So that was the... The trouser snake. Well, yeah, as, a, as, a, as, as I said, as a musician, lovely fingers could have been lovely fingers. I mean, he glided across the piano. That the ivory keys were just, you know, such a joy to, to listen when he played. I mean, unfortunately, they were playing jazz, and you know that's quite. A, well, yeah, that's quite. I mean, and it was a very experimental version of jazz at, at that as well, wasn't it? So, uh, and you know, they weren't shy from you know taking a taking the hallucinogenics as well. So talking of which, probably the most famous or infamous member of the band uh, was the trombone and saxophone player, Jack the Pink Hobo Newell. So, um, you know, he, he had a big impact. What do you know about uh, old Jack there? I mean, the thing with Jack was that he, out of anybody in the band, and probably in Birmingham, he could have been the most successful of all. Mm. He had a natural talent for, for wind instruments. You know, when he was three, you know, he picked up a, a slide whistle and that was it. Away he went. You know, and by the age of 13, he was in the, the Bourneville Factory Philharmonic Orchestra. Right, you know, yes. he, he, he knew a, a, a chap called Rupert, a music school, a, a music class, sorry, a sort of uh, lured him in, but uh, sort of brought like him a, in. a mentor. Yeah, that's the word we're looking for, a mentor. Right. So, yeah, so, so, he, was so in, he was in there. So, Bourneville Factory Philharmonic Orchestra, you know, was pretty big when I was growing up. You know, they'd always, you know, be playing dinner and dances and stuff. Um, you know, and the, I usually had a, a fairly big classical repertoire. So, you know, they were no slouches. So, uh, how did he end up playing jazz? So, the thing with, from what I understand, is that he was introduced to Herbie Mann, not personally, but the, you know the records of him, right? And uh, that's what sparked the interest in jazz. Yes. And then you know get a bit older and you get a bit. I mean, he was a prodigy. There's no doubting about it. He was a prodigy. Right. And I think the pleasure got to him, and then he was going. Maybe just a few little outside interests were kicking in, and a few, a few bit of bit of drugs were taken, and the jazz thing kind of got a bit bit bigger than the. the the classical music that he was doing, right? But uh, it all—I mean, it all came to a head at one point, and I'm sure we'll uh, 
I'm sure you you're aware of the story. Well, you know, obviously I am, you know, because it's kind of almost legendary now in the in the music scene around Birmingham. But um, perhaps you could explain it to you know small ball listeners. Yeah, so in uh, so in 1969, he was him and the orchestra were due to, he was going to perform um, Alessandro Marcello's Oboe Concerto in D minor. And I think we've got a little clip of that now. And, you know, the, all the dignitaries are there from the city, the mayor, right. and, you know, yeah. and there he is, front and centre, there's the mayor, and, and there's uh, Rupert, his, his mentor and his, his wife. Right. I, think, I think this was the first time that he was going to be doing a, uh, a, a solo piece, as it were, so he, he you know, again, hit the, hit the recreational drugs a bit, and the next thing you know, he's a, a, a fair old chunk of LSD inside of him. Right. That's not good, then, if you're uh, no, gonna, so, about to play a complicated piece of music. Well, absolutely. So next thing you know, he's uh, being ushered onto the stage. He just, as he's sort of tripping slightly, and I think he was, you know, muttering something under his breath quite a lot and sort of oh, stroking right, people yeah. as he walked by. Yes. He kind of ended up going into the um, construction department who were preparing for a, another, another performance in the same venue. And... Uh, he ended up uh, just finding a brush and uh, with some pink paint and covered his elbow in it. Right, the, hence the uh, right. I see. So uh, and that's how he got his nickname, the Pink Elbow. You see. Oh, it's pink paint. Was it right? So he, yeah. he, he, okay. So then, and what happened next? So he comes. So you know, the uh, the orchestra have, have done a, a little bit of to mm-hmm. warm up the cloud, as it were. Yes, yes. And next thing you know, out he comes. Oboe in hand, dripping pink paint everywhere, because it's not that time to dry. He's just literally walked out with it. And then proceeds to put the oboe to his mouth, blow, but pink paint goes everywhere. Right. And he doesn't, he's not playing the, the piece of music he's meant to be playing. He's playing Groovy Samba, which is one of Herbie Mann's songs. Right. It's on the Latin Fever album. It's a classic in the jazz scene, which you'll be able to hear now. There's pink paint going everywhere. He's dripping it everywhere. But then it was very embarrassing for him. He, he, he didn't know what to do. Right. Oh, and, my word, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you know, you know, this is the 60s. I mean, this interpretive yeah. performance is, 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 you know, it's a very early doors for it. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, definitely pushing the boundaries yeah, even back then. So um, what happened to him? Obviously, I, I remember it quite well. I mean, he got the boot from the orchestra. There was a lot of... You know, who hard about it all, and you know, I think the police uh, had a nip round and felt his collar, you know, for all the drugs and that. But um, you know, what happened to him after that? No, he just, he, you know, no one wanted to touch him. None of the bands wanted, no local bands wanted to get involved. No, I can see him understand you know, more. Couldn't get a booking with him. Well, exactly. 
So, uh, you know, he, he, he sort of went under, under, underground, I suppose, as, as if you can't get any lower. And, um, you know, he ended up just going around a few bars and then he ran to, to Tony and Ian at the White Horse Cellars. Right, of course, where... Um, and where yeah, Leslie worked. So yeah, you know, yes, he so, oh, right, I see. That's how they got together, was it? So Tony, the ankle spanker, Dempster then. So, so how did he get mixed up with them? He was, a, you know, a, a, almost a, a, a tragic figure, if you will. So he had, you know, ADHD. And, it, it, you know, although it had been diagnosed, it wasn't sort of a common thing. There wasn't really a treatment for it. But that's what Tony suffered with. And I think he, you know, as I said, he's a tragic figure in it all. Because unlike, you know, um, some of the others where there was kind of a um, a self-inflicted element to it, he, you know, he couldn't help it. He couldn't do anything about it. So he would find, you'd find that he would, you know, when he was sitting down a conversation with you, he'd, uh, you know, just be tapping away on his ankles, you know. He'd, he'd just have a couple of pencils or his, his sticks in front of him. He'd be tapping away, or sometimes just his fingers, you know, banging away left, right and centre. And he, just, he couldn't help it. He just liked to bang things. Well, was he a friend of your wife's? I think, I think, um, I don't think Tony and, 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 and Alice were very close. No, not, not, not like she was with, you know. With, uh, with with Jack, not like, yeah, or, or Ian. Right. But I think, um, you know, I think she was, you know, uh, obviously in the circle, as it were. Yes, I'm, all right, I see. So, um, I mean, his ankles were freakishly, freakishly thin. I mean, they were like, you know, little bird ankles, really. Right, because, I mean, he, yeah, he was a good drummer. Yeah, I heard that about him, you know, and to kind of oh, keep, could, keep could... rhythm for the Black Country Three, you know, when they're kind of playing six different songs all at the same time. Must have been a challenge. I mean, it's, I mean, I suppose I'm surprised his nickname wasn't the octopus, if I'm honest. Gotcha. Oh, I've had enough of octopuses, mate. Don't talk about octopuses to me. Well, we all know that that your 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 uh, band's tragic tale, isn't it? But well, you know, that's that's true. The Spocktopus. But yes, anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, Warlock Powerfist. Um, so yeah, I know that you know Tony had been in trouble. Because, you, know, you know, even I heard stories of, you know, you'd be, you know, doctor surgery or something. And next thing you know, people are complaining because he's, you know, tapping away at their ankles. Uh, so, yeah, funny character, really. But um, like I say, tragic loss to the world. I don't know when he was a child. He just kind of, you know, yeah. maybe he's just playing on, playing on his, his dad's or his, his dad's legs. He just sort of became a habit for him. But, yeah, mm-hmm. if, he's, if, if there was an ankle, he'd, he'd, he'd be tapping it. Yeah, yeah OK, absolutely. fair enough. Um so I've had a look back through about the band. So that's very interesting how they all got together and, you know, the White Horse Cellars, which was, you know, renowned jazz club, you know, um, in Birmingham. But, you know, not something that the heavy metal scene would go to. And I think, you know, the whole sort of story of, of how they ended up I mean, you wouldn't at, find at the old you, grouse, you know. I mean, you, is, wouldn't, is, yeah, you wouldn't find Black Sabbath at, a, at a, you know, the, the same place as these guys or any of the other, you know, Judas Priest or anyone like that. You know, you, they're very, very from, different... Uh, Familiar with the, with the Sabbath, were you, when they were, um, you know, coming up through the ranks? I mean, I, was, I, mean I, I like to think that we were integral into making them who they are today. If I'm honest with you, I mean, some of the early reviews we gave them really, really got them some notoriety. Right, because, uh, you know, you uh, said you broke the band at one point. Well, I, I, as I said, I think, you know, we were, we were there early doors, you know, we were, you know, myself and Alice, you know, we were there, you know, you know championing them to, to, a, to a certain extent well Alice was anyway she was always banging on about them and Tony well, I, and, yeah, well, and, and, and Ozzy but, I heard um, that um, you know that you nearly broke up the band 
you know, well, between Geezer and uh, Tony at one point. But, you know, Sarah, you know, that such but, was the times. I mean, for legal reasons, I'm allowed to not allowed <laughs> okay. discuss that. But, you know, I mean, me and Geezer have, have, have made up. And, you know, if I ever see Tony again, I'll... Uh, I'll apologise to him, but I'm well, not he gonna... told me he wouldn't piss on you if you're on fire. But um, maybe, maybe that's all in the past. Anyway, I've, I've got some reviews from the you know, the, the concerts that uh, the the, uh, the Black Country Three did, and they weren't many. Um, they were fairly sporadic, and obviously this was the '60s and '70s, so you know things were a little bit looser there. But um, I've got uh, the 1972. Birmingham Evening News here. The, the music guy at the time on the Birmingham Evening News, his, his Steve Phillips, he was awful. He, he, he couldn't tell anything from anybody. You know, he, he was he was tone deaf. Well, he did describe them. And, I mean, his two-word review of their show, Utter Shite, uh, yes. which, which seems, you know, somewhat harsh. Uh, the next one I, I managed to find was from uh, New Musical Express, actually, uh, 70s version of that. So, uh, from, this is a quote from the journalist there. Uh, whilst I was watching their opening number, I had to chew my own fingers off, which was less painful than watching this band. Uh, and the only way to preserve what was left to my shredded sanity. So they were they were clearly doing something right. I mean, NME. I mean, let's have a look. I mean, what have they ever done? You know. I mean, where are they now? Exactly. You know, print media's dead, like you say. Uh, the Melody Maker, also another famous uh, magazine at the time, uh, had a three-word review. One word, run. So, you know, that's, again, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity in this game. And uh, the last one I've got uh, is a bit more positive. Uh, one to watch out for if you're planning on subjecting dissidents to cruel and unusual punishments. And that's from uh, Jane's Defence Weekly, who clearly liked what they saw. So, you know, a mixed bag of reviews, I think. I think you'll find that all of, the, all of these, I mean, it's just, it's just shoddy journalism. That's what that all is, you know. So, so what was your impression of the band, then? I can't I can't disagree with it, but, you know, they're not giving any reasons. They're not giving any reasons for any of this. And, you know, us at the Birmingham Universal Music Showcase, we'd like to explain why we thought things were shit, you know. You know, if it took two, three, four thousand words, you know, you had to make sure you... You explained it properly, and I think, you know, these guys are being very unpleasant, really. The thing was, it was, as we said, it was like being hit in the face with five kaleidoscopes of music. You know, it was, it, I mean, there was a rhythm to it, you couldn't deny that, but at the same time, you know, Tony wouldn't be playing the same piece of music than, than Jack would, you know, it's just... And they wouldn't, you know, no, you're right, I mean, they would play a completely Leslie different... Would, Leslie that's... would often howl to the like a wolf to the moon for 15 minutes well it sounded like it anyway yeah they were definitely pushing the boundaries which could well have led to their uh, unfortunate demise so there we go that's the story of the uh, the unfortunate black country the thing, three the thing to think is that, that you know as a band their influence was felt for years to come I mean I remember you know about five or six years after they died going to a gig and there was a bloke with a with a recorder stuck to his head which was very similar to what jack used to do and would, that's true yes that's true you no know, and that there was there was a lot of um mimicry of, of things that they'd done you know it just it was just one of those things but when i remember when you know even even now when you talk to some people about the band you know they a tear forms in their eyes you mean as i said when i talked to alice about this you know having a chat about it her face went as white as white could be, and it's been years since we talked about them. 
Right, yeah, well, I can, I can kind of understand that because they did have a big impact on her, that's for sure. Um, people, and when I've mentioned their name, they've started shaking, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But anyway, a Black Country 3. So we're going to dig a bit deeper, but thank you very much for your time, Hugh, and uh, hope everything goes all right with your Twitter followers, whatever you got. Yeah, thank you, Clive, and, uh, you know, I hope I don't have to review another one of your albums. Don't worry, mate. I'm... <coughs> You know, that's, those days are firmly behind us. I'm still uh, living on the royalties from uh, helping Noddy out with Merry Christmas, everybody. Well, it was it, it was sort of nice to hear from Hugh. I don't, I don't know what he means there by not having to review one of our albums again. I mean, we've not well, released it. It's just moved on, isn't it, I guess? But, uh, yeah. Patronising. Influencing people, as always. He was a funny bugger, I've got to be honest, but um, he did seem to know quite a lot about the band, so there was that. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone yeah. needs a hobby, and his is clearly living in the past, whereas. Or, or living, you know, living the rest dangerously. I mean, he, he, I remember his review of uh, The Clash's first album, and he was lucky to, to, to get out to live, to be frank with you, back in I those mean, days. He's, he's often referred to as Bricktop, but not because of the Snatch character. Because often he'll find himself ducking from bricks coming at his head. That's, well, I, I, I allegedly, I heard that he actually managed to build his patio from the bricks that were being thrown at him in the street after his review I, of I, Black Sabbath Volume 4. I can do well, Let's not get started on the Sabbath nonsense again. I mean, it's a load of old t- cobblers. I hope you weren't just describing the mighty Sabbath as a load of old cobblers. No, no, no. Just to check. Just, just, uh, just him. So listen... What do we what do we make of this then? So we obviously sort of kind of uh, rubbed shoulders with them, didn't we? I mean, there's I think we, I think the three of us can all agree. I think there was a damp patch on a dressing room sofa wow. that we all sat in more than rubbed shoulders. Well, that was probably Hugh's missus, but um, yeah, probably. What what right, about just, for, for for our careers? And you know, a, a large reason about why we're even still talking having this conversation now is is because of this band and the influence that they left on us. Well, yeah, you know, you know can't deny it. I mean, it was more than influence they had on Gibbo, really, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, Gibbo, um, you know, for all of his his many 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 faults, innumerable you know, faults. Yeah, yeah he, he, he kind of uh, he was a little more disgusted bit... as seeing a man eating Twiglets. By dipping it in strawberry yogurt first. I mean, you know, that was that should have been a warning sign. That should have been a warning sign. He had some problems. He He did, but he he was, you know, very gifted musician, and he had an ear for an interesting, you know, take of events. He didn't like to go tread the same ground, and particularly if that ground happened to be Birmingham, and he'd rather be in Mongolia. But what about, you know? So allegedly, I heard, and I think that's how Gibbo explained it to us, was that. The night of their particular demise, they'd left the venue in Ahuri, and yeah. in leaving, they'd also left behind a number of sort of jazz greats, you know, Miles Davis and the like. Mm-hmm. And Gibbo had picked them up because obviously they were supposed to be supporting us, intending to return them. Was he intending to return them or was he going to go and flog them? Well, look, well, you mean, know, very could, could have been we were a bit hard up at that point. I, I mean, mean, things were tight in the 70s, early 70s. We didn't really get a big break, did we? I think if you were going to sell those albums now, you'd probably make a tidy fortune. And for all I know, he's still got them. But, 
you know, I mean, back in the day, you, 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 you'd have got about five, six shillings, or you know. Yeah, I, I think I think he probably played them once and then you know sold them for a bag of chips or something. Yeah, took him took him down the British Leyland car park and flogged somebody out the boot of the car. That's, that's quite likely for the night shift. But anyway, so that that did have a knock-on effect on 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 the style of music that we then well, kind of adopted. You know, the seventies was a different time, really, and you know you I could mean, be a lot more experimental. Lucidity injectors came straight out of that whole that whole fiasco or scenario. I suppose is a better way to. Oh, it's, it's a very good point, and that was that a, that was a high point for us. I mean, yeah, we have flirted with all sorts of styles over the years, but um, you know, that's there's no, no way to talk about the groupies, Clive. Well, that's true. Um, but you know, that did have a big influence, I suppose, and and so inadvertently, that was the album that kind of put us on the map. I think you know, and like I said, the seventies was a was a very different time. I mean, I think so. That's the one that people talk to me about the most is, is terminal lucidity injectors. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, TNI. I mean, also it's, it's when the band changed. You know, we. Did you say TNA? Isn't that some sort of you know? TLI. TLI. Oh, Can't sorry, I completely misheard you then, mate. Sorry. Sorry, I mean, I'm getting old, you know. I mean, my hearing's completely shot from you know your blooming thumping of the old skins. I mean, you, if you if you're gonna get too close, well, we had we had something special. Like, but, but do we think that the band? So although they didn't have a direct influence on our musical style because they were very experimental, they did, you know, and, and I think Hugh alluded to it. Um, you know, they did have an influence on the on the local scene. People who actually you know, managed to stay long enough through one of their performances. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I heard people wondering, you know, was it that there, was it their experimental nature that made them inaccessible or, or was it the fact that they just couldn't play? Well, I, I just, I've often wondered this. I think Cause you can't you say that, that the, the, the Pink Oboe couldn't were ta- play. Well, no, that's true. They were he was, he was, artists a lot. A lot of he, them were very good. But he was so far around the scale, he was back down to being bad again. He was that good, um, that pink elbow fella. But don't you remember when we was in the studio, what was that producer's name? He was, was his name? I think it was Jeff. I think it was Jeff. I'm sure it was Jeff. When we used to be doing takes, he used to say, if, we, if we'd fluff something and make a mess, he'd say, make a mistake, do it twice, call it jazz. That's true, yeah, he did, yeah. And we used and to play I, some pretty crazy kids well, as well. Thought, like if, that. if I'm honest, I thought he says, call it jizz, but I mean... Well, that might have been that might have been just been echo from 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 those bonkers bloody ride symbols you brought back from Mongolia that first time. Those things had, an, had more reverb on them than, well, than anything I've ever heard. Um, I'm pretty sure one of them's still buzzing away in the back there now, and I don't think you have idiot since it's, 1974. It's... If I'm honest, out of all of the equipment I've tried to keep, they are the one thing that have gone from house to house with me. Everywhere, every house I've lived in. Wake up in the morning and bong, away we go. That's how I know my day started. Uh, and, and is it a case of bedtime? That's why I've had to what? move so much because I keep getting kicked out. I have yeah, heard that but... it's... Um, well, actually, I think part of the problem with you, Clark, um, Brian, was uh, you should start every day with a bong. And uh, he well, ended, yeah. up, ended up in all sorts of trouble, if I'm not mistaken. Finish, yeah, I, I start with a bong, finish with a bang. That's my life story. Well, that would make a great autobiography for you, Alan, I've got to be it, honest. It, it would make a good autobiography, but you'd have to find yourself a willing partner, which at uh, your age is going to be a bit of a struggle, mate, I think. And full with your back as well, I understand. But um, listen, about the band, because we've got to get back to it. So we're here to investigate th- these these four lads they may have been talented musicians, at least one of them was. 
that we're aware of because he had like certificates and everything. But mm-hmm. uh, the rest of them, nobody that knows. Proper, All we know is that fancy they, pointy writing on it and everything. Yeah, they, they, they liked the hallucinogenics. You know, they, they, they hung around with the Pink Floyd, didn't they, in the uh, sort of late 60s. Um, yeah, they did. They did. They did quite, and I think that had a big influence as well. And they would just take copious amounts of this stuff and then, you know, go in, gate crash a pub somewhere and start playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, their stage show was pretty, you know, eccentric. And I think it upset a lot of people, to be honest with you. And I think that was one of the angles that uh, we'll explore in, in this show. Think, is, uh, you know, their impact on the local scene in, in a bad way. Yeah, you wouldn't have expected it from them with the bow ties and the suits. You wouldn't have ex- when they got on stage. You would, you didn't expect the noise you were getting because they looked quite tidy, didn't they? They looked quite sort of, you know, well to do. I, I it mean, was part of the problem because, like, you you saw them and you thought, hello, they're going to be doing, you know, the odd, you know, sort of classic jazz number. Everyone have a little bit of a dance about, you know, a bit of a waltz, and then all of a sudden, you had the pink oboe painting himself, you know, pink, yeah, pink, pink, and other you know, fluorescent colours, dancing around, you know, taping woodwind instruments to his head, and then and the rest of the band doing, well, I just don't know what they were doing, but it was a spectacle. The question I've always wanted to ask, really, is how do they get their suits so clean so quickly? I mean, that was oh. the thing. I mean, they were by the end of it. I think you know, they, they, they might have had a... I'm not sure, but I think, you know, the trouser snake, mm-hmm. well, where that pet shop was, that was right next door uh, to to Bodwin's gotcha. dry cleaners. Oh, so I that think might have been it. I mean, I mean looking have... back on it, probably better, probably quite handy that, that you didn't get to know a fellow who ran a pet shop. Really, that that might have put that might have put pay to our career if if you discovered your your penchant for small mammals. Look, um, it's purely for you know companionship. It just it just yeah exactly. We, we we can't keep bringing up our past, can we, Brian? Well, I, I don't know because you, you know. want to be a little bit careful, here, Brian, because you know we, we've not had a great record with uh, with there's no, with, there's with animals. No, there's no skeleton. There's no skeletons in my closet. Anything I've told you in the past appear in the paper again. That, I've I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Stones. Don't you just hate it when that happens? You're mowing the grass on a Sunday afternoon and suddenly a stone flicks up and ruins your day by smashing a window or a pane of glass in your lovely greenhouse. Hi, I'm Matthias van Gogh, CEO of Evergrown, the UK's next big greenhouse supplier. And we have the greenhouses that can solve this problem for you. I've tried everybody. No one's got any greenhouses that can solve this problem. Not currently in the UK. But all ever-grown greenhouses come with 70mm thick ballistic glass as standard. Oh, blimey! That's right. So next time a stone flicks up when you're cutting the glass, Lil Lizzie next door kicks some football over the fence, or Gerald from around the corner decides to use his service revolver to destroy your wife's prized melons, sink ever-grown and make these broken panes less of a pain in the future. Thanks, mister. I'll get an ever-grown greenhouse straight away. Well, let's let's put that all behind us. Let's move on. Now, 
from what I remember, Leslie, you would never see a crisper bow tie than you would see around that man's neck. I mean, oh, it was it was razor sharp, mate. You could you could have chopped your fingers off on that thing. It was amazing. Were, you know, wherever that dry cleaners was, or whatever they were using, I mean, the amount of starch that must have been consumed to get their suits. So- I think they were using an angle grinder. I mean, I've, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, you know, it was the era of very sharp suits, but I think they took it a bit. They took it. They took it to extremes. I don't think they would have been any sharp if they'd have been wearing cut gloves. I, mean, I think that's one of the things you'll say about them is they took it to the extreme would probably be their epitaph. You know, they nothing was done in halves. They would go all the way to the max. They certainly wouldn't do anything in halves. One over two was far too simpler a time signature for those boys, if nothing else. Exactly. They were more, you know, 7-2, God knows what was going on. I think they did do do one. I think I worked it out one night. I think I might have had a bit bit too much of the Alvododendron. And I can't remember where it was. It might have been in the Dog and Duck in Dudley. And they just, t- you know, when they just used to just turn up and start playing and like people would be on bars yeah, would yeah. be like, we don't have a music license. What are you doing? We don't put bands on. And, 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 and melon balls will be like, well, you do now. And, and they just start playing and they started playing this thing. I don't know if it was improv. I don't know if it was something they were working on for recording. And I was sat there and I thought, well, I'm going to try and get with this jazz thing because I'm not good enough at maths for it. But I thought, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. And I was like, okay, what's he counting? What's he counting? What's he counting? And I ended up that he's, I needed to get a slides rule out. And I reckoned, I reckoned, because obviously we just switched over to Metic as well. So my head was like, just in bits i reckon he, he was he'd done this song it was in 33.9 over 17 and three quarters and i was thinking how have you managed to get like 0.9 of a beat in a bar I, but they managed it. it it was it was it was haunting it was it was amazing stuff but yeah it, it i mean i mean it was music that would touch you emotionally and leave you slightly psychologically uneasy I'm not sure it would. I mean, it was musically music that would touch you where you would necessarily want to be touched voluntarily. No, you're, you're, you're definitely right there, Brian. I mean, no, like, I think I'm, it was more of a kind of a musical, you know, molestation. To be honest with I you, I think that's probably the best. That, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Alan. I think you've 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 probably you've probably hit the nail on the head there. It was a musical molestation when you were expecting a jazz band. I mean, obviously, this there was heavy metal was starting now. You had, you know, Zeppelin were well going. The Sabbath were going. You had bands like Budgie and Diamond Head were getting started. And then these boys with the razor-sharp suits and bow ties, and you're like, all right, yeah, this is going to be like, you know, Django Vinehart meets bloody George Formby or something like that, or maybe even some Viva Lynn, you know. And then... It's, and funny, then you say, it's funny you say George Formby, because I'm pretty sure... That at one point Tony was cleaning windows. It wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me either. You know, it wouldn't surprise a, me. It was a good cash around gig, that you know, no tax to pay. I was going to say, you know, I mean, how many tax men? How many windows have you cleaned this week? I oh, just one, mate. Yeah, just, just, yeah. just do my windscreen. That was it. Move on. Yeah, yeah I quid. My, my old, my old nan's one, and away you go. But you wouldn't have ex- expected like the, the just a sonic assault. That you got from the and, and you know there was only four of them. I'm sure that there was like there must have had people backstage because 
how four people could make such a racket, I have no idea. Do you think that has anything to do with their demise? What I mean, do you think, we, maybe we're looking to it in future episodes. What, like, what, what do you think, like, was, could there have been, are, are you suggesting that there could have actually been more than four people in the Black Country Sea? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is they were such a divisive band, you know, polarising, you know, between those people who managed to run quick enough to get away from them and those who couldn't get out of the, you know, the venue quick enough. And, uh, you know, maybe, what, just maybe, it, it kind of drove people, you know, over the edge, you know, like, hallucinogenics, you know. Like, 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 literally drove people mad to the point of, we're going to kill you. Well, you know, I mean, the, the CIA were experimenting with this kind of thing, weren't they, in the well, 60s? It's you know, it's you know, true, yeah. uh, you know, so, you know, it could have been that that, that was a reason. Oh, yeah, why are you trying got, to claim? Uh, I mean, it's the sort of thing I'd expect from Brian, if I'm honest, Clive. Are you trying to claim that the Black Country 3 was CIA black black ops operation? Well, it's strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-strange-str
scene, you know, the criminal element um, about a particular, you know, hard man who, uh, who we'll be trying to speak to, I think, to try and see what he's got to say for himself after all these years, see if he's had a change of heart. And then, of course, there was the van itself. I mean, it was, uh, it was an, it, you know, I think this had been uh, through a few bands before they got hold of it. And, uh, you know, it was an old Thames van, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, lovely old, lovely old thing. Classic 400. But... I mean, beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful van. Because, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good van. Yeah, I think we had one, didn't we? I mean, they were a good van for bands. You know, you could you could sleep in the back and one of one of the roadies could be on the job and, uh, you know, you wouldn't hear a word. So, you know, it was pretty spacious. Yeah, I think um, was... Pete, Peter got us one, didn't he, at one point? I mean, I don't know where he got it from. Well, well, it's funny you should say that because I think that's... Because Peter, his old man, had some, you know, Lord Sloop, had his finger in a lot of pies... Well, Cyril, Cyril, Cyril Sleep, yeah, he he, uh, he was, you know, a, a very well-to-do be, gentleman, let's, wasn't he? Let's, let's be honest, the right honourable Cyril Sloop. Let's, you know, well, let's not be disrespectful to the dead. Well, he's dead I, now, I, isn't he? I, I, I can't imagine there was much right or honourable about him if it was anything like his vice-cursed progeny. Well, the rumour is, you know, he, he would buy businesses, very dodgy businesses, cash businesses. I'm, I'm surprised he wasn't in the window-cleaning business himself, actually. And... Um, you know, he, he was, was, used the, that he was in the window replacing business, from what I understood. If you know yeah, what I mean. if you, if you, yeah, I know exactly mm-hmm. what you mean. So anyway, he he would have these kind of dodgy ventures, you know, basically anything to make more money, um, regardless of the consequence. And I believe he had um, if a second-hand vehicle dealership, uh, you know, just just uh, in that area. Uh, and I think that uh, we sold our band, or Peter sold him our old van or something like that in the past. So it could be that we'll have to find out about that and, and maybe explore yeah. that angle because, you know, obviously nothing came out of the police reporters to the state of the van because it was a fireball. And they didn't it, have all the I mean, could that, could that have been hushed up by his aristocratic connections? Well, he had, let's be truthful. I mean, he did, you know, pull a few strings when Peter got in hot water. Um, so I wouldn't surprise me. You know, if he had that kind of clout uh, to, you know, get the, get it hushed up. You know, he was yeah, I, well I, in I, with I, the police, I believe. Yeah, I mean, the only, I mean, the only surviving piece of the van was the was the passenger side door, from what I remember, weirdly. That was, that's right, uh, yeah, because that, that was found on the top, wasn't it? Um, whereas the yeah. rest of the van went over the edge. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, but, uh, like you say, to an absolute crap, the, the poor buggers inside, well, most of them anyway. It's, it's not... It's just not, it just just doesn't add up. I mean, you know, it could have been if they were CIA agents, it could have been a hit. It could have been the commies. Well, it, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But so that, let's start with that then. So I think we should probably have a little think about uh, what this is. So we know they died on that particular fateful night, and we've got some, you know, official reports into that, which we'll have to look into. We know that the van was a, could have been a bit dodgy. I mean, it was an old, you know, 1960s 1960, van. 1960, it was, it, was, it, was it was 13 years old then. And uh, wasn't it an ex-Royal Mail? I'm not what? sure. But was it um, one of them Royal Mail ones? I think the back had been... Yeah, I mean I, I mean, I remember looking at the back of it. Because, I mean, Tony had taken me out you know, one time just to, you know, he needed help getting stuff out the back of the van. And some of the seating at the back 
was quite frankly <clears throat> not fit for purpose, if I'm honest with you. There were deck chairs, there were a couple of deck chairs drilled into the floor, just a hot, you know, a couple of spaces for some, two of the boys to sit. And then there was just piles of junk at the back where the instruments were. So, right, you know, yeah. it was that, would, the, that uh, would not be very safe, would it, in, in accident if you were in those deck chairs that were, like, say, just screwed into the back of the van and you went over the edge of uh, Spaghetti Junction. You're not getting out alive, are you? I mean, yes, absolute madness. Oh, that would explain anyone it. who does that needs serious. Yeah, I used to have a word with themselves. So Jack was the driver, I believe, only one with a license anyway. And um, of course, he would be taking huge amounts of LSD as well. So we can't, you know, rule out that that was a factor. So if we kind of put all these things together, the angles we need to explore for justice for these lads. First of all, the police report sounds a bit dodgy, right? There's the biker gang theory. There's the CIA using them as a potential uh, psychological warfare uh, aspect. And there's, of course, the, you know, the, the nonsense one about the fact that it was actually freezing cold that night, which I don't believe because it was July. So I think we're going to need to, and the van, of course. So I think we're going to need to explore all of these before we, uh, we can bring to any conclusions. So shall we, shall we get started on, you know, as we've done the, the band, shall we get started on the van while we're here? Because I think, you know, the two things are intertwined. You, you, can't, you don't have one without the other. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. I think I think we need we we need to examine everything. I mean, you say there was only the passenger side door was left, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, that was on the top of the junction. The rest of the van had fallen off. The rest of the van was all was all burnt. The rest, the rest burnt of the van beyond. went through the through the barricade, through the concrete border, and then down into the down to yeah. the scrubland below. When you got to bear in mind, so we need to look at the, like, that scene the, as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to bear in mind that the the actual Soviet junction is pretty new at that point. I mean, so you, you can't imagine that it was, you know, in bad well, nick yeah, that by might be, a, be another thing as well, you know. Was there a cover up because it was, you know, built with uh, substandard materials? So we could uncover all sorts of things here. Well, that's true. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, it was Spaghetti Junction, it was the Midlands. I mean, the whole, the whole of the Midlands was only about 25 years old at that point, remember, because it rebuilt the whole thing after the war. That's true, too. So I think we'll have a little investigate into that van thing, because that sounds quite interesting, particularly if Peter's involved. Where will we go from there? Let's do it. I, re- I, rec- I reckon that is the first aiming point for our first fist of justice. So as we were saying, I mean, the van was that classic band van. We had one mid-60s. I don't know for definite that it was the same one as, as these lads had. Yeah, I think a lot of them were were kind of passed around between the bands, weren't they? You know, so usually when one was completely knackered and broken, you'd try and shift it sharpish before you had to pay for the MOT or something. It sounds bad, right? Sounds, sounds, well, it's no different to what happens now, is it? Yeah, so so what about the Thames van then? So classic, you know, band van of the time. You could pick them up pretty cheap. Definitely. Um, Usually they were running to the ground. Um, That's a poor choice of words, I'm honest there, Clive. Very, oh, well, very I, tasteless. It's a very I good point. I was going to say, it's a bit, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Sorry might, about that. Might be nearly 50 years on, but I think I, th- I think the kids today say too soon, mate, too soon. Too soon, yeah, you're probably right. So where did they get this from then? So we know from the statement that Sloop did have something to do with it, but only because he owned the dealers that sold it on to the Black Country 3. Um, and I think we'd better find its kind of original uh, documentation. And it's uh, purchased from Sloop in, ni- from, uh, in 1971. Is that right? I mean, that's that's what it's got on the logbook. I mean, luckily enough, I mean, uh, Jack had left the the logbook of one of his one of his brothers, so you know that's that's pretty much the only surviving thing of the van. Uh, right. in this day and age, is, is actually still the logbook. So here it is then, the uh, special response from Lady Chardonnay Coco Sloop. Oh, I think it's from her solicitors, by the look of things. So here we go. I would like to categorically state that my late husband, Peter Sloop, uh, had no dealings whatsoever with the sale of the Thames van, as you have insinuated in your letter of the 13th. However, his father, Lord Sloop, may have at some point owned that particular garage, although he was a silent partner in many industries throughout the 1970s, being a champion of the conservative values that he was. It's also worth noting that although there were numerous investigations uh, by Trading Standards and later by West Midlands Police, uh, no evidence was ever found that would imply that Sloop's Motor Emporium was dealing with, as you put it, dodgy MOTs that you could get done for a couple of quid or maybe a pint of Watney's Red Barrel. Therefore, I would like to ensure that you cease and desist any further communications of this matter and any implications that negatively portray the Sloop family going forward. Failure to do so will result in immediate legal action. Well, there you go. That seems fairly conclusive. So, uh, according to them, nothing to do with them. The van was perfectly safe and roadworthy at the time. It had a full MOT. And we shall say no more on the subject. Because it was a popular thing, wasn't it? I mean, there was that, an advert in the 60s, wasn't there? Or 50s, I think? Was it? Yeah, I mean, the late 50s. I mean, when the when the van was coming out. I mean, it was it was branded as the... As the as the, the the bandwagon. I mean, that's I mean that's why I, I know uh, Jack was especially um, interested in getting it because you know Sai Larry. I mean, big uh, uh, cl- clarinetist. And he, he was, was a, you know, he's a big jazz man. <clears throat> Definitely big jazz man. Oh, yeah, I think I remember seeing it when I was a nipper. You know, the 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 advert for it was 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 very jazzy, as they say. Yeah, it was that. It was that lovely kind of. That, I, remember, I remember the van in it myself. It was that that kind of that shade of yellow that you don't that you don't see since like after about 1975. They can't make that yellow anymore. Sort of mustardy colour, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it, was it was very like, popular, like, and then it all just suddenly stopped. Sort of yeah. thing you see on a Lamborghini these days, or something owned by a footballer. It's the sort of thing that generally comes out of newborn babies from one end to the other. It's oh, that kind of sort of colour. Jesus Christ. How do you know about this? You've got, you got a secret family, Brian. A secret family you've never told us about. 
No, but I have some very close colleagues here in Ireland that have just recently become parents and they've done that thing of, oh, come and look at our new progeny and and, and said uh, young Hevitt young um, produced some of this stuff. Um, Sounds a bit like oversharing to me, frankly. It was him that was oversharing because he produced it on my leg. Nice. Well, there you go. Well, anyway, now at least we've got a very... It's not the first person to excrete on your leg at some point. No, it's the first time it's for free, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's the first time I had to pay for it. uh, I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you did. Well, you know. It was the 70s, uh, you know, and and bless bless you, Brian. If there was something to try... You know, you would always, you know, you no experience was too strange for I, you. I don't know. I, I always drew the line at moist dancing. I mean, that's sensible, I think. You know, you have to have a, you have to have a line you, in the sand. You, you've got to have a line in the sand, and behind that line is incest and moist dancing. Right. Well, I'm glad that we, we, we've set, that, yeah. set those parameters. And that was the line in front of that. I mean, the, the line often in front of you was a bit of coke or something like that. That's it? true. The old Colombian marching powder. That's true. Oh. Or a bit of Ajax. But um, anyway, enough, enough of that, your, your craziness. Um, a great fan, very jazz orientated, so you can see why the band had it. They were what? nice and reliable, and they were, they were cheap. They were cheap to fix. They were cheap. To, I mean, it was the seventy. It was late sixties, early seventies in the UK. Everything was cheap because everyone was skint. But they, they they were reliable. They went well. They were fairly economical. You could get a de- you could get a decent set of amps and a ki- and a full kit in the back. And four fellas. And four ladies, allegedly. Um, but I and, uh, wonder... How, how well they could contort themselves around the you know, gear, but yeah. Um, but do we think that there is anything suspicious about this van? Do we think that the, they, they lost their lives through poor maintenance of said van? I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't brand new, was it? So, you know, it it'd been around brand a bit. It Second hand. It, been, it had been around a fair bit, and I'm, I'm pretty sure... I remember. Um, I remember one night. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. I, I, it was either either melon balls or ankle spanker was 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 telling me that I, he he was convinced it had seven wheels. That probably doesn't help, to be honest with you. No, no. Um, I, I tried to explain to him. I was like, "No, mate, it's got four. And he's like, "No, no, you don't see. It's got seven. I mean, I think. I think well, it may have been, it's all about the time, you know, when, when Tony used to uh, line up his drums along the side of it, it would often, you know, same, same oh, well, colour as the white walls on the... Uh, on the I'd, um, not, I'd not thought of that. I'd not thought of that. It's very, very true. They, well, they weren't the sharpest tools in the box. So, no, they Unlock their suits, of course, which were very sharp. So can we discount the van as a potential reason for their demise, do we think? I mean, you've got to bear in mind what I would say is it had it, it didn't have up to date suspension. No, this thing had this it was, thing. It didn't it, have it didn't have what is called the McPherson strut. These, these things had leaf strings, wishbones, like you know, the, wishbones it, it, and springs. Yeah, they were, they were, it was basically like a railway carriage. Didn't it have? If I remember rightly, didn't it have a single kind of front seat like the American cars? You know, oh, like a bench across the front. Bench seat across the front. Yeah, I think yeah, it did, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, you were so allowed that, them then. Yeah, it might have caused problems, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it seems unlikely. I mean, I know Sloop was a dodgy, dodgy so and so. Um, 
but and that's a tight bend as well. So I mean, they might have been speeding uh, if they were pursued by the, the the biker gang, as was the original theory. So I don't yeah, know. I don't. I think we can't really say. Could could have been the van. Could have been the van. It Malcolm could have been. Should... But I mean, the problem is, it was that badly burnt. From what I from from my own research. It was that badly burnt when, when when it was investigated that it even burnt the VIN number off. So my question is, the van that was at the bottom, it might have been a Thames 400, but you don't know it was their Thames 400. Well, I think we're pretty sure it is because it was their bodies that were found yeah, in there and there's a dental record. They, they were in it, Brian. I mean, they, yeah, but they could have been planted. Right, they I see. They could have been planted. They could have been kidnapped, and and that could they, they could have been kidnapped and murdered, and their bodies put in another van. Because who knows what if there was some microfilm in their van that that they was like keeping for the CIA? Wouldn't that get just burnt up? Oh, right. they had to take right. it out because they wanted it. And, and they, 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 you know, and 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 right. whoever bumped... if you had a if you had a Sunday roast recently. Yeah, why? I mean, did you... Have you been mixing again? If this is about the sage and onion, sir, no, I have not. But we've ascertained that there is a chance, however small, that these fellas might have been highly trained CIA operatives. And if they were spooks, what if they were spooks working on sonic weapons and they had blueprints for sonic weapons in the glove compartment of their van and they were what if they were going to go and deliver it and they'd been that they were being chased by these biker this biker gang that might have been um might have been sort of hired KGB, it, maybe might have been hired who might have then KSC, take, more like. might have been ta- they might have taken that van to strip it to find the microfilm and it might be another Thames 400 that was chucked off the top. Do you not think they were just broken in? You know, because that van was left unlocked 95% of the time. Well, that's because anybody who knew what went on in it wouldn't want to touch anything. Exactly. So, I mean, I think even the CIA have limits, like... Well, yeah, I suppose so. But It's not the CIA now, you know. It's it's the CIA then. I mean, back then, they were perhaps a little bit less... um, Less picky, I suppose. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, they, they got Marilyn Monroe into enough trouble, didn't they? Um, so but, what we're saying is, is, is theory number one is before we go off into the flights of fancy with the questions, yes, but yes, but uh, we remember we're tra- we're serious journalists here. So all we really know true. is that 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 the van, a Thames 400 van, was found at the bottom of the junction, burnt with the bodies of the four young men.
how many other bands were driving around in Thames 400s that never fell off the top of bridges or junctions or anything? So, yeah. so I think we can discount I mean, more. The, 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 the point I raised there, if I, if I may, Brian, if I may, is that mm. how many other bands bought theirs for the bloody Sloop family? Well, is that? Well, we did, and we were all right. For, for, for a given value of all right, mate. Yeah, that's true. We survived in the van. I mean, I mean honest, that's probably more luck than anything else, I suspect, at this point. They made them in, they, they did make them in lots of different places because I know obviously the, the, the original ones, you know, the UK built ones were made in Dagenham, weren't they? <clears throat> um, like, you know, um, oh, lots of things. Yeah, the other week, did a lovely, was it, but, lovely place. But some of them did come from Australia and New Zealand as well. I mean, do we know if theirs was an imported one? Was there something different? Could it have been some some dodgy Aussie metal work in it or something like metal fatigue? I don't think so. I think the the, the that was on the on the uh, logbook. You know, it came straight out of Dagenham, mate. Oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah. That's good feeling. I like it. So you've got you've got what is it Sherlock Holmes says? You know, when you've exhausted all possibilities, what remains, however improbable, must be true. That's true, but we've hardly exhausted all the probabilities. We just looked at the van and the logbook. Well, no, that's true. That's true, and yeah. Well, if I mean, mean, it's 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 travelled some miles. It had some owners, you know, between the time that it was rolled off the factory floor and into the hands of these poor buggers. Was it, ex, was it an ex-Royal Mail one? Seven. Do we know? Eight, nine, ten. I mean, it's not about, it's not about a different owner every year at this point. They're not the most reliable anyway. I guess people have shifted on pretty quickly. So it might have been. Maybe there's more to this than... Anyway, the thing is, we can't prove it either way. So it's going to have to go in the question mark box from our little crimometer. So we'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll, have to, we'll have to we'll have to park that one. No, pun it. Well, yeah, all right, pun intended. We'll park the van there and come back to whether it was the nothing, van's fault later Nothing on. conclusive about the van, I think, is nothing the best we can do. Nothing conclusive about the van, no. Make a nice greenhouse if you had one of them, though. Yeah, that reminds me. I've got, I've got, a, I've got that brochure through from your your friend uh, from Holland. Has it, it come through? Oh, good. I'll, 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 I'll let him know. I've circled the one I want for me and my mum. Right-o. Right-o. And, um, yeah. And uh, hopefully it'll be, uh, she'll be able to fit a big enough Swede in. So, here we are, the end of episode one of this fist of justice journey we're on what a what a what a journey it's been already it's so, been an absolute pleasure hasn't it it's well for us obviously not for the black country three but for us it's been wonderful well we certainly sort of un- uncovered some things i'm not quite well, sure where we are but well i, I say we're a bit we're probably a bit further along than we were you know an hour ago well you know, in, in, in radio terms, I mean, about six months ago in, in actual research terms. So, so yeah, so we know from, according to the records, then the, the van did have a, a valid MOT. Yeah, yeah. And if, you, if you say otherwise. If we say the, otherwise, the, some the, very expensive lawyers yeah, will come the, and tell for us. For a given value of valid, we're not saying it's invalid, but it's for a given value of valid, I think it's fair to say. We know, yes, that's true. We will say no more on the subject for fear of legal repercussion. We, we, know, we, 
We know more about the band. We know, we, you know, we that. know that Hugh Jenkins is still an arsehole. That's that's, uh, that's a given, I think. So we know, yeah. we, you know, we know the band. We're, yeah. we're, we're better acquainted. I think I think in, in you know after listening to Hugh's recollections of the band and it's always coming back to me, you know I wonder what they would have been doing today. Plumbers, plumbers, maybe. Yeah, they know but, how to lay some pipe, those lads. I re- I reckon. Uh, I mean, I think I th- I think Hugh. I mean, to be honest, I think he's a even he's a he's a lower form of life than a disability assessment officer. I think he, he, he's almost um, he's almost in member parliament level of pond scam. But well, I, I, I think I think the lads from the band. I think yeah, careful, I, I, careful, Brian. Your passport might get revoked next time you're coming through customs. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You, 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 don't want to, you don't want to upset these people. I, I mean, I think that you know they maybe one of them would have been in, you know, the ankle spanker probably would have gone into like scaffolding because he was, you know, good with directions. You know, very good with their lighting rigs. So uh, yeah, I think he would probably have been all right. Um, uh, not uh, sure I, about the I, pink homo. I, I think he was always going to be in trouble. You know, um, I do. I do wonder if he would have turned his life around and returned to a, a career of music and some. I mean, the talent was there. The talent was there, but I, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I know it's it sad that they all went. I don't think they'd all be here. I've, I, I, I think the oboe would have ended up in cheap adult entertainment to try and get his fix, and he would have just ended up. What, like a carry-on film or something. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And he yeah. would have like ended up snorting his last off a cracked mirror, and it would have been tragic, and no one would have ever really thought twice about it. And well, you're a cheerful bugger, you Brian, aren't you? I've got to say, mate. No, oh, no, sorry about that. I'm fe- it's these late nights. I'm I'm feeling a bit maudlin. Oh, what? Um, well, you know, I'm looking on the broad side here. I like to think that it would have gone on to good things. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather have listened to them than bloody Coldplay. I mean, they might have saved us from Coldplay. I mean... The, yeah, trousers, just... the trouser snake I can picture doing, you know, you could eat some sort of Channel 5 ITV2 sort of nature documentary. Like, right. Steve, like, yeah, like, it, the, like the late Steve Irwin, but shit. I think he could have been Terry Nutkins with a full head of hair. Do you think so? Because I, I think he probably would have tried to introduce his python to Michaela Strachan if he was given the chance, frankly. But um, That reminds me, Spring Watch is on now in a few weeks, so I'm going to start getting that on the old recorder again. Oh, you've still got your VHS up here, is it, for those, those films you did? Exactly, yeah. You know, you can't waste good material, as they always say. Have, well, you got the, have, you, have you got the Peter where you can put one in and it... And it re- does it onto another one, you know, one of them um, double-decker tape deck things? I, I think I bought all the last remaining stock of VHS that was available in the Greater London area about five years ago, so, you know, plenty of money. I can't be dealing with... I've, I've never been into digital. You know that from the time we worked in the studios. Can't be dealing well, with yeah, digital. Yeah. Yeah, That's true. I suppose, I, I think we've still got, still, um, it was never moved across the streaming, was it? We've got a few quid out of it, I suppose, but uh, there's a uh, live at the River Plate, uh, that concert. Um, of course, that wasn't the River Plate in, you know, South America. That was a, that was, that was a cafe called the, the River Plate, uh, of the, just by, um, wasn't that the book? Just near Oxford, I think. 
Yeah, I think I somebody who somebody who saw the film and thought they were Humphrey Bogart. I think that's what that was. I think. Yeah. Rocking in Rio. That that was uh, that was another one. I think it was a bootleg. Uh, Rio being uh, the mate's uh, camper van. I think. But um, yeah. You know, they're still out there. If you want to track them down from uh, from old days, we don't mind anymore. We're not getting a penny out of it. So what the hell? Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll find them at select uh, record stores, I'm sure. Well, you know, I keep hoping, you know, one day they'll turn up on YouTube and we'll, you know, get to maybe somebody will do something on TikTok or whatever it is, you know, like they did Fleetwood Mac. I'm pretty what, sure. Is that um, like put it on an alarm clock or something? No, no. What, what, what you do is you get somebody like doing something, you know, like skateboarding, I think this fellow was doing, or gardening or something, and you have a the song in the background and then next thing you know it's up the streaming charts and you're making a you know a handsome 25 pence every you know, for every million downloads not well, to be sniffed at well, in well, not to be sniffed at at all i suppose i mean you know it's, it's going to pay more than sloop ever did isn't it so Just, i think the last time i saw one of our records on tv was when it was being used to hold up a grandfather clock on antiques roadshow I think I saw that, you know. Yeah, I could just about I think see. I, I could think I could see um, your 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 groin thrusting out, uh, Brian. I think that was that one that cover that we did. You know, the one we got in trouble for. Oh, that one. Yeah, I remember that. That's, well, um, right. Yeah, that yeah was... we. I, I think one. I, I can't remember who it was, but there was. It was definitely inspired by the band cover of Electric Ladyland. Um, it was, except we were all naked and there was a fully clothed lady. Yeah, there. it was. It was. It was electric. Electric Orlock Pathist land. We got that bit wrong, didn't we? We did, I'm afraid. But uh, and yeah. of course, I don't think we had quite the same appeal. To be completely truthful with you, particularly with your your gammy leg and uh, you know. I mean, yeah, but luckily for how is yeah. how is the gout? Uh, it's, it's it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I've I've they've not had to chop it off. And so then it, of course there was you know Rich T's interesting collection of rashes. But um, you know, well, you, didn't yeah. really, you didn't really want to see that in the daylight. That's for sure. No, so, um, I mean, it, it was it was strange how under certain lighting he looked just like a map of the London underground. Do you know what? I I often thought that. You know, he was like a, a game of Mornington Crescent. You could have a game on the back there, couldn't you? Yeah. You know, you how can that. I get from Bond Street to West Ham? You know, and just draw it on his rashes. But of course, you wouldn't want to actually get that close to him. To be fair, it was the smell of the cream. When I used to bed with bunk with him. Well, Bed with him, eh? All right. Well, oh, oh, it's all coming out now. Well, hang on a minute. I mean, Peter, Peter would, you know, give us one room, a, one room between two of us every time with a single bed. You know, what, you it, know was great the, for it, was. it was the smell of the ointment. I mean, it used to, you know, I'd have headaches for days afterwards. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point about Peter because quite often, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd book the hotel, wouldn't he? And then he wouldn't check if it was two singles. It'd always be a double bed because exactly. it was cheaper, you know, topping and tailing. Yeah, it was tough on the Maniacs. Do you know who doesn't check rooms for hotels they've booked? Maniacs. Crazy people. Yeah, do that I know. Kind of it, what, what, I mean, you could end up being in the same hotel as a bunch of murderers. Well, it wouldn't surprise well, me if some of the places we stayed, you know, particularly, you know, in the East End, they were rough as houses. I think oh, at least, oh, at least oh, one had been used as a KGB safe house. Yeah, rough as a badger's house, that was. I, I, I bet there were. I'd be somebody else doing it. Somebody else doing a podcast about us if, if you know, if, if you don't check the places where you're staying. Right. Like the guitar solo on Wings of Eternity, we're getting on a bit here. We're dragging it out. 
we still aren't any really any closer as to why this all happened. We've got no. some leads to track down in the next episode. So um, obviously there's the, the the gang of bikers that we've seen, yeah, you know, a, pursuing them. I've got a lovely conversation with one of the one of the lads there. I won't, I won't go into how I got that conversation, but uh, suffice to say, I hope they're doing a second series of Peaky Blinders, or I might get my window smashed in. I think that's finished, mate. So um, I think oh. your, your 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 cunning your cunning ruse there uh, may may have worked. Who knows? But uh, anyway, you're going to be speaking to one of the ringleaders of this notorious biker gang. So we've got the interview with the with the biker with the biker. We're going to look at the in- incident in a bit more in depth. We've got a conversation with a copper. <laughs> yeah, PC PC Colin Ainsworth. DC, DC, wasn't it? DC, 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 um, of the case, so we're gonna we're gonna pick his brains, see what he remembers all these years on, or what he's allowed to tell us that he wasn't back then. Exactly. Mm. So there we go. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. I will be uh, back with you very shortly. Keep on fisting, everybody. Absolutely. Keep on fisting. All right. Will will more justice come in your way in the form of a fist uh, in the next episode?